Well, good morning, Redeemer. So glad you're here. Love that you love to greet one another in the peace of the Lord. God comes to greet us afresh with his mercies this morning. We're making this Advent journey, this beginning of a journey through the book of Exodus as God takes his people and all of us from darkness to light. The light and the hope and the light of Jesus Christ is found everywhere, even on the pages of the second book of the Old Testament. And this morning we see God's love for a special child, a beautiful child, Moses, how he cares for Moses to raise Moses up to deliver his people. It reminds us of all the ways that God in love cared for Jesus in the coming of our Savior into the world and how God cares for each of us in giving us new birth in Christ, new life in Christ, how he is with us all the way, caring for us as his beautiful children in Jesus. Would you hear now the gospel from the book of Exodus? We'll read the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord to you. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty of the gospel in these pages. That you're a loving Father. You were to Moses. You were to Jesus. You are to us. You care for us, Father, as your beautiful children. Convince us of this reality today afresh. May we, like little children, believe, no matter how long we have journeyed with you, Christ, may we keep believing like little children, like little children being convinced of our Father's care for us in any and every place. May we know that care afresh today or for the first time, dear Father. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, for his name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you heard Bryant talk about the roses. We celebrate with the Spear family, with the Verpal family, these amazing births. Uh, 
uh, wow, how wonderful. Uh, the staff were sort of buzzing with an email thread this week about these births and celebrating uh, the joy of these new lives. And Aaron Hurt on her staff just wrote in the thread, it's raining babies at Redeemer. You know, indeed, it can feel like that at times. Uh, what joy, what hope, what energy, what life is in the celebration of a new birth. Um, when you're a grandfather and you get to stand down the hall and wait patiently for the news to come from your son-in-law and then your son-in-law comes running around the corner and says four different times, it's a girl, <laughs> and you rejoice and you're glad. For an old man, uh, there really is no greater joy than taking that new grandbaby in your arms and praying over her and singing to her and walking her and delighting in her. I love my granddaughters. They are a delight to me. It makes me think of the birth of my own four children, my three daughters and my son, and being in the birthing suite with Fran and having that just that overwhelming set of emotions, feeling like out of body, there's nothing you can do as a dad but just be there and pray for your wife and for your child coming forth through this travail, right? I'm sure for Fran it was not an out-of-body experience. Very, very in-body. Uh, you know, uh, I think about the birth of our second child, Duggan, who was born 30 minutes after we arrived at the hospital in Opelika, Alabama, traveling the 10 miles from Auburn to Opelika. I could tell you about the fact that I waited a long time to take Fran to the hospital, that I did a Bible reading and prayer time with our two-year-old before we left. I could tell you that I drove the speed limit exactly the 10 miles from Auburn to Opelika. I could tell you that Fran accidentally slugged a nurse in her 30-minute labor and delivery. I could tell you these things, but I won't do that. So they're all true. Uh, I am an idiot. God, have mercy on me. We've all had or heard about sort of universally like funny, crazy birthing stories. Another universal is that every parent, right, and every grandparent thinks these newborn children are just beautiful, right? What does our text say? That Moses' parents, they're not named here yet, their names will show up later, that Jochebed, his mother, that Amram, his father, find him to be, our text says, a fine child, literally a beautiful child. The Hebrews reading we gave you in the front of the bulletin describes him as a beautiful child child. His parents adore him. Every child is beautiful in his parents' eyes. Even more so when you think about the promises of God for us as Christians, for our children, that our children are holy to the Lord, born in the life of the covenant, born with the promises of God on them, that Jesus says, right, it's great that a child is crying right now. It's perfect. Because when the disciples tried to push the crying babies away from Jesus, said, no, let them come. Let them come unto me. See, that was perfectly on cue, by the way, parents. Please don't worry. Let the little children come for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Not only does Jesus love little children, right, and give great promises to them, but he says we all have to believe like little children, Unless you believe like children, you will not enter the kingdom, he says. To grow as a Christian is to, in effect, grow more and more down into believing like little children all along the way. And one thing children know who are born to healthy, loving parents 
is that their parents care for them. That their parents always are caring for them. And yet we can forget that as God's children, can't we? We forget it so quickly. We can think, I've done something. I've failed to believe in a way. I've acted out in a way. I've rebelled in a way. I've wandered so far in a way that I am now somehow outside the care of my father. Or he feels like he's been distant from us in a way. Or we're hurting so badly. Or we're crying like Moses in the basket so strongly that we think surely he's not there and he does not care. And this story is beautifully put here right at the beginning of the Exodus journey to convince us in a gospel way God cares. You are, in and through Jesus Christ, God's beautiful child. And he cares for you. Let's consider how that care is shown in this passage. First, God cares for you as his child. In this way, he rules over all the powers for you. God rules over the powers to care for you as his child. What does the New Testament say? That Christ in coming into the world demonstrates his rule and authority of all the principalities and powers that he has triumphed over them by his cross. That he rules over everything for the sake of his church, his children, his brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what the gospel says to us so, so strongly. And it begins to be played out here, right in these very beginning passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, right? We saw, we've seen it in the book of Genesis. God is powerful and reigning and gives Abraham a son, as we heard read in our readings this morning, against all odds, against all powers set against Abraham and Sarah. God gives a son. And that son, Isaac, is miraculously delivered by God when he's about to be slain and a substitute lamb is given in his place. And then his son Jacob is delivered and his son Joseph and all the family are delivered by God's power and reign in bringing them down into Egypt. As Joseph says to his brothers, you all meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is reigning and working. But now you see it just here on full display with a special emphasis that God is reigning over all the powers of evil. I had the privilege just to kind of walk through this passage this past week with my mentor, my teacher, Richard Pratt, who's the founder of Third Millennium Ministries, giving theological education to the world for free. And in my mind, the best Old Testament mind living in the world. And, and he was best friends with a friend of mine who's now gone to be with Jesus. So Richard and I have amazingly stayed close and he'll take my call when he can. And he did on Friday. He was driving. I said, Richard, I just want to talk about Exodus 2. He said, okay, great. He said, you know these things about Exodus 2. Paul I said, no, 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 I don't. Richard, help me. Help me. And he said, you know, it's, this is like a political cartoon here in Exodus 1 and 2. I said, well, what do you mean by that, Richard? He says, you know, it's like God is the all-powerful one, and Pharaoh thinks he's the all-powerful one, and Satan behind Pharaoh thinks he's the all-powerful one, and Pharaoh is a buffoon. <laughs> Pharaoh and Satan behind him are just buffoons before God and his power. Pharaoh thinks, well, I'll forget them. Well, God multiplies them. I'll oppress them, but God multiplies them. I'll get the midwives to put the baby boys to death, and God works through bold midwives who say funny things like, well, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, right? 
You know, they can give birth before we even get there. And the boys, we can't do anything about them. So now he says, all of you people in my kingdom, you put all of these boys to death. And here's God, not even directly named in this story, delivering the boy who is going to deliver all of his people in a rich and full sense, right? To grow up to be the one who delivers, right? And God delivers him through Pharaoh's own house. (laughs) Pharaoh's own daughter. When he wants to rage against the boy, Pharaoh's daughter loves him and takes him in. And Pharaoh nurses the baby out of his own royal treasury. (laughs) Pharaoh's a buffoon. God has made a spectacle of them. Like talked about in the New Testament that Jesus is like, made a spectacle, a laughing stock of all the powers of evil triumphing over them by the cross, Colossians chapter 2. You see it here, right? Uh, There's a key word in the Hebrew. It's take. It keeps being used over and over again in this passage. Uh, A Levite man takes a wife. This woman takes the baby born to her and puts him in this basket, this waterproof basket she's prepared for him, and puts and takes him down by the river in the reeds. And then Pharaoh's daughter takes the basket and opens it and finds the baby there. All these people are doing taking, 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 but God's the one here taking charge, reigning over everything, even over all the powers of evil, to care for his children. Reminds us of the birth of Christ, right? Herod's sort of the buffoon there, right? The one standing in the place of the forces of evil. The supposed king of the Jews who wants to slay the baby Jesus, right? But God's reigning there, right? God causes the wise man, speaks to them in a dream to go back another way and not tell Herod. And then when Herod comes to attack the baby boys in Bethlehem, Jesus' exit goes down into Egypt, ironically, and back out to deliver not just Israel, but the whole world, even you and me. God reigns over the powers. He reigns over the powers for Moses, for Jesus, and for all of us. I love what Alec Motier says, just a beautiful scholar on Old Testament and on the book of Exodus. He said, you know, when you get to Numbers, the book of Numbers, and you have these these numbering of the people, the generation who's gone out of Egypt and begins to the wilderness journey, there's no hole in the, in the records. There's no hole in like this census of baby boys in the time of Moses. There's nothing here stated. It's as though just the people just have kept multiplying and multiplying. So very likely, he says, Moses is not the only baby boy continued to be miraculously delivered As God reigns over the powers, Pharaoh wants to take all the power he has, the might of his kingdom, right? And his strongest God is the Nile River God. Nile River God, eat up these baby boys. And God reigns. And God saves a baby boy there. And many, many others. Certainly he will save the whole multitude of them as he leads the people out with Moses. How about you? How about me? Know that God is reigning over all the powers in your life. When you were encouraged by Jesus to pray, Lord, please deliver me from, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil, literally the evil one. We're to pray, God, please reign over the powers. 
Please protect me from the forces of darkness. Please keep me from going and living in their life and their world and help me to live as a person of light in your kingdom. Protect me from the forces of darkness. Think about today. Just take some time today. Take some time this week, your Advent reflection, to think about the places where God has protected you. Put a shield around you to keep you from evil and the evil one, to give you a new birth in Jesus, to help you keep journeying with Jesus. God cares about you this way. He loves you. He reigns over all things, even the powers of darkness for you. Well, secondly, consider the care of our Father for us as His beautiful children. Not just that God reigns over the powers for us, but that God's timing is perfect for us. This is the thing that just really caught my heart this week in meditating on this passage and sort of just living here in Exodus 2, is the perfect timing of God on display in these things. Jacobin and Amran have a baby, and for three months, they have the grace of God to hide the baby, to protect the boy. But at just the right time, they can't care for him that way any longer. So they, by faith, instead of tossing him into the river, make a basket and waterproof it so that he can glide on top of the river. And the mother, Jochebed, and the sister, Miriam, who's not yet named, right, go down by the river and place him along the edge by the reeds. And at just the right time, right, here comes of all people at that part of the river, Pharaoh's daughter to come and bathe with her maidservants. And at just the right time, Pharaoh's daughter spies the basket and so does one of her servants. And she says, go get that basket from me. And at just the right time, God opens Pharaoh's daughter's heart as she opens the basket to love this baby boy, one of the Hebrews' children that, that her father is trying to murder and slaughter. And at just the right time, Miriam, his older sister, comes running up and said, can I get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? And she says, yes, sure. And so at just the right time, Miriam goes and gets her mother, Jochebed, and Jochebed is paid out of Pharaoh's treasury to nurse and care and wean her own child. So for three years, as he grows up, probably very likely, that was the weaning age, he gets to live in his mother's arms and in, under his father's care and with his older brother and sister Aaron and Miriam in the house and learn Hebrew as his first language. And at just the right time, he's given back to be raised in a royal household by Pharaoh's daughter. And she names him, I've drawn you out of the water. Moses. And he's even found among the reeds, right, in the waters at just the right time as a picture of what he will do as God's deliverer in the sea of reeds, in the great waters of the Red Sea, to deliver a whole people. It's just stunning. It's just jaw-dropping. It's worship-inducing to think about the timing of God here. It reminds me of all the timing of God, right? We heard in the fullness of time, 
God sends forth his son at just the right time when the Pax Romana is in place to prepare a whole Mediterranean world to have access and communication and peace of travel and all kinds of spacing and development culturally and, and, and structurally and governmentally even so that a gospel of a newborn Christ who comes to live and die and rise again for the sins of the world could spread across the whole world. At just the right time when Caesar thinks, I'm moving everybody around to get my census, God is moving through Caesar's edict to have his Christ born in the city of David from Nazareth to Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph go so that prophecy is fulfilled. At just the right time, wise men come from afar, two years journey perhaps, led by a star in the sky so they could put their gifts before him, so they could worship him, and then go back another way to protect the baby from Herod's wrath. At just the right time, these things happen. In the fullness of time, Paul says. How about God's timing in your life to bring you to himself, to keep you with him? How about his timing with you? I just thought of this story this week and it, just God's timing in my life of um, just uniquely. Um, Fran and I were engaged, 1985 fall, maybe about this time, November, December. She comes to visit from Birmingham. She flies down to the Orlando airport. I go from Gainesville to pick her up and then we spend the week together and I bring her back on a Sunday night to the airport in Orlando and then I'm driving home late, late, on that Sunday night, and I'm one exit away from the exit that goes to my house, and I wake up, I've fallen asleep at the wheel, and I wake up to a crash. And I'm driving my mother's uh, uh, tank, her 240D Mercedes 1980, that's literally built like a German tank, right? And I run into the back of a man driving a Mercedes. Um, the front of my car completely collapses like the good German engineering wanted it to. And then I'm saved in the driver's area. The man's trunk collapses and he's protected. There are only the two of us in these cars. We walk away without a scratch. The officer who comes to the scene of the accident says, son, you know, you were spared. And this man was spared. Think hard about this. Now, when you tell a story like that about God's timing and God's care and perfection of that, how that could have gone a million other ways that were all bad, right? There's two dangers in telling a story like that. One is that you can forget, sort of sensationalize things like that and forget God's perfect timing and care for you in the ordinary. Jonathan Edwards had his neighbor, a farmer, come in colonial times to, to see him. And Pastor Edwards, Pastor Edwards, a miracle has happened. God's cared for me amazingly. My horse and buggy had, the horses got spooked coming back from market on the road just down here. And the horses ran into a tree and my, my wagon was splintered and everything was in pieces and not a hair of my head has been harmed. And Edwards, as you can see, you know, probably dourly sitting in the corner, you know, said, well, that's good neighbor, but God has perfectly cared for me hundreds of times on that road. My horses have never gotten spooked. My wagon has never crashed. I've never run into a tree, and not a hair of my head has been harmed. God has cared for me as well. Sour Edwards, right? Yeah. 
But the point is well taken. God's caring for you in the ordinary, perfectly timing everything, all day, every day. The other danger in telling a story like that is sometimes you may have to go all the way under the water. Sometimes God may take you through death to bring the life, just as he does for Jesus. The, the motif there is of Moses entering the place of death and being brought out alive, right? The gospel more fully says we well, are actually going to die with Jesus and rise again. You may literally or figuratively all the time, right, die or loved ones die. Children, parents, friends around you die. And then life comes. But God is perfectly caring for you there. His timing really is perfect in your life. Rest in that. Hope in that. I just one more thought here before we leave this point and go to the last is that faith is pictured right by what Moses' parents do. do you, that word basket right there, it's only used one other time, one other place in the Bible for Noah's ark. His parents literally have made a little ark, the Hebrews saying. His parents are drawing on the imagery of how God saved in an impossible space eight people through a whole global flood and brought them through. And they were living by that faith as they made a little ark for their little one, their beautiful child, by faith in God's perfectly timed care. I like what J.I. Packer, the Canadian theologian, says. He says, faith is this. It is rigging the sails of your boat and hoisting them, even if there is not a puff of wind in the air, with the confidence that God will bring the wind in his perfect time and way. That's faith. That's how we're to respond to this care, to just step out, to just do the next thing, to just put our little ark on the water and see how God provides. He cares for you. He cares for you in ruling over the powers. He cares for you in perfectly timing out everything you need. And lastly, he cares for you in giving you mercy in every place. Hebrew literature is beautiful. The stories are beautiful. They tend to be sort of written in kind of a, a, a way what, what theologians like or literary people like to talk about as a chiasm, kind of like a half X shape. You typically start off with a problem. In this case, Pharaoh wants to smash and destroy all the Hebrew boys. The resolution of that problem is Pharaoh's own daughter saves the Hebrew boy. And all the people. There's a problem and a resolution. There's usually rising action and tension in this case. By faith, Jochebed and Amram and Miriam make this ark and put the baby on the waters in the ark. And, and, and there's a resolution, right? There's a falling action with that. That the baby is found in the ark. And given back to the sister and the mother and the father. To flourish and to grow. But there's usually a central point a hinge for the story, an axis around which it all spins. And the turning point in this story is this, verse 6. And Pharaoh's daughter takes the basket and opens it 
and finds a baby boy crying inside of it. And she says, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And what does she say? What does the text say about her? And she had pity on him. A pagan princess whose father wants to wreck all of God's people and destroy all God's promises is the agent of God's pity and mercy for his people. If God's mercy could come to Moses from Pharaoh's daughter, it can come to me and you anywhere and everywhere. Look, you, you just may be in a place where like, you, you feel like you've just been sort of hurled out into the waters. Like you're despairing. You're discouraged. You, you don't really have a sense of how much purpose and value your life has at all. Maybe you're wrestling with suicidal ideations or even actions. Maybe you're just saying as this Christmas season approaches, I can't do it. I can't fake it. I, I can't go through that this year. In that place, God's mercy can come to you. I pity you. I love you. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities all those who fear him. He loves you. He's going to give you new mercies each morning. We're just going in a minute. Brian is going to lead us in being fed from this table. This is a table of God's pity of Christ's mercy coming to us anew today, wherever we are, in the most surprising places of our wandering or our disbelief or our disobedience. God wants to come like Pharaoh's daughter to Moses and extend his pity to you. Really interesting. This is the only time in the Old Testament that a child is described as crying. Why? Because all the other times weeping and crying is described, it's with adults. <laughs> it's with grown-ups. It's with God's people. And it's, it's just sort of this reminder here that we may be crying like a little baby in a basket on the water without his mother, not knowing what is happening to us. But God will pity us. God's hand will meet us there. He will love us there and not let us go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this gospel. Through Moses, how Moses pictures Jesus, but even further, Lord, how there is the story of your care for us, even us here. Thank you, O Lord. Lord, particularly as we come to this table now, convince us that you reign over the powers and you did by the cross triumphing there, Jesus. You, you perfectly time everything, everything to care for us and you will extend mercy and grace and pity to us in every place. Lord, like Pharaoh's daughter, we pray as well that we can be used to be agents of your mercy as well, that we can surprisingly be used in the lives of others this season, as you convince us of your new mercies for us, may you use us as agents of your mercy in all kinds of places, with all kinds of people. We pray it all, Lord Christ, in your name.
Amen.